there's a hierarchy of meaning where, where, you know, you have pleasure, like, oh, it feels good to do breath work. And then you realize, oh, pleasure is not nearly as significant as happiness. So, all right, I'll trade pleasure for happiness. I'll get in the fucking ice bath because then I feel happy. But at some point you realize that happy is vastly less important than significant. Like, oh, I'll trade happy for significance. And then you trade significance for meaning. And that process, pleasure, happiness, significance, meaning, that's a heroic journey that will take you literally years. My name is Johnny Elsasser, and I'm a former Special Operations U.S. Army Ranger and Tactical Commander to the U.S. Ambassador's Protective Detail. I have seen the struggle even the most hardened men have faced when they combat their inner demons, and I am here to shine a light on those struggles to show that no man is exempt from adversity and internal pain. Men from all walks of life share their stories of hardship, darkness, and perseverance so that every man knows that whatever he is going through, he is not alone. Evolution for men begins now. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. And today, yeah, we got my man Philip Folsom on. He's kind of becoming the uh, resident mentor here on the Art of Masculinity podcast. Uh, he's somebody I look up to highly. If you guys follow me, I follow his work a lot because one, he's an OG in the men's space, but two, he's a badass leader. He works with Real wolves, by the way, and he is just somebody who's a heart-centered, you know, open wisdom human being that wants everybody to to thrive. So I love having you on, brother, and thank you for coming back on the show. Nice, yeah, I love chopping it up with you too, man. It's an honor and a pleasure just to unpack and explore, you know, these big relevant topics with masculinity today. We're and I've always said. Men built the world. We destroyed the world. We're the problem and we're the solution. So the work that we're doing and all the rest of the, the, the guys watching this, hey, hold the course, keep the fire lit. You know, the work you're doing is very important. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. And we got so much to get into today, but let's talk about that. I love that. Hold the course. You know, so many men get deterred from, from that. They get deterred from holding the course and they just really struggle with perseverance, especially when times get hard, right? You, you probably see a lot of this. Yeah. Consistency is, is obviously the key to everything, right? And there's a, a big fat dynamic here in our current culture that is lacking all forms of initiation into a mature masculinity. And men require an initiation. It's very different than, than women who tend to self-initiate. So we're born as boys who want external validation. We want immediate gratification. And if you have not been initiated through some arduous thing, like becoming an army ranger, then you know, it's pretty hard to be able to defer gratification and do the grind, embrace the suck. When was the last time you did something that was intentionally hard for a long period of time? Because that's where all the results are. So men jump to intensity before they do consistency. Yeah. And that fails. And it will o- always fail unless you build that foundation first. And that's really what's missing with, with kind of the 
the masculine ethos today. Yeah, because they, they, they won't have that foundation. Then they embark on this journey. And then when they don't see the results right away, like you're talking about that immediate gratification, they get down on themselves, they beat themselves up, they judge themselves, and then they they get off the path. And, and that's where I see a lot of them struggling. That's where I see a lot of men just really kind of, then they leave and then they don't stay persistent and consistent like you're talking about. Yeah, obviously mine mythology as an anthropologist, I mine even biblical uh, spiritual sources for wisdom because yeah. it's that's the treasure, man. There's a mother load back there, <laughs> and and you know when the Jews escaped the tyranny and slavery of of the Pharaoh in Egypt, they were promised the promised land. Yeah. Ah, so men think that oh, I went to this retreat and I learned some breath work, <laughs> and I get the promised land. Like no, no, no. There's forty years of wandering the desert. <laughs> There's a little gap there in the story <laughs> that, you know, which require, and most of the Jews fucking quit. Yeah. And so that's when Moses said, nope, pillar of smoke on the horizon, commandments up the mountain. Like there is some structure that allows us to continue this arduous journey through the desert, which exists to test the faithful. Yeah. So if men can't get through the desert, then there's no promised land. And so people, men are oftentimes looking for uh, the term is spiritual bypass. Yeah. It's like, I want meaning and purpose and abundance and significant. And I said my affirmations. <laughs> where's my treasure? It's like, oh, dude, no, no. Do your affirmations for 10 years. Yeah. You know, meditate for 10 years. Get sober for 10 years. Stop watching porn for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, you have reached a level of, of uh, efficacy that gets you paid. And this is kind of the the segue into the conversation of, you know, how do you really get the abundance and the purpose and meaning and the freedom on the back end of your hero's journey? Yeah. And we started talking about that before the show. And I want to dive into that. The men's, you know, men's work and how it affects business and how it affects abundance, right? Like, you know, this, this stuff that people that a lot of the everyday men are running from is the same thing that will give them the life they want in all areas but they're scared to embrace it. They're scared to embark on that 40 years in the desert, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty easy to see all these um, overnight sensations, yeah. whoever you admire, whether it be Goggins or Rogan or Jocko or you know, any of these guys or, or, or Peterson. Like these are the, the big heavy hitters in our, in our field. And they just sort of appeared on the internet and like, wow, they're so successful. Like really take a look at their scope and scale of their arc. Yeah. Look at how long Goggins has been doing yeah. this. Look how long Rogan, look how long Peterson, look how long Jocko has been doing this. So they're 30 year overnight sensations. <laughs> and, I love that. And it's not always a fun journey. No. Right. But, but that's the, this is one of the distinctions is there's a hierarchy of meaning where, where, you know, you have pleasure. Like, ooh, it feels good to do breath work. And then you realize, oh, pleasure is not nearly as significant as happiness. So, all right, I'll trade pleasure for happiness. I'll get in the fucking ice bath because then I feel happy. Yeah. But at some point you realize that happy is vastly less important than significant. Like, oh, I'll trade happy for significance. And then you trade significance for meaning. And that process, pleasure, happiness, significance, meaning, that's a heroic journey that will take you literally years. That's not a quick fix. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I th this is where I think 
men don't see that path, right? They, they, they seldom see that path because the fact that I think, and maybe this is a good question for you is like, do you think that men see the hourglass going down the sand, going out of the hour, going to the bottom of the hourglass and thinking like, I don't have time to do all these. I don't have time to wait this out. There's an aspect of embracing the journey, the Buddhist axiom of, you know, when you're searching for enlightenment and you chop wood, you know, you carry water. When you become enlightened, you chop wood, you carry water. You have to embrace that that's the path. And there is no silver bullet where you finally arrived at a certain place where all your problems are solved and, you know, you're emancipated. Mm -hmm. Like you're going to, it is. And Jordan says this, uh, Peterson, really well with, you have to find a path that makes the inevitable suffering have meaning because it's suffering yeah. no matter what. And the, you know, the Buddhists acknowledge this, that life is suffering. You do not avoid the suffering. You shape or find or create a path where there's enough meaning that the suffering makes sense. And that's synonymous with, with the word passion, which means intentional suffering. It's the thing that's so important to me that I'm willing to suffer. Yeah. That's passion. And so for the men who are watching this and going, oh, how do I navigate this journey to abundance and, and meaning? Well, you have to find something that is meaningful enough and you're passionate about enough that you're willing to undertake the suffering of, you know, writing the book, the, you know, the long grind, going to the gym, you know, it, it's hard <laughs> yeah. and it's not, you don't, you're not jacked in six months. No. You're jack, you know, you're starting to get jacked in six years <laughs> or what, or whatever the, you know, the, the arena that you're dealing with, yeah. you got to start looking at the scope and scale of years and embracing that journey, not the outcome. Yeah. A really good analogy for this is, and this appears through almost every culture is there's an analogy of the garden and to be a good gardener, you have to bust your ass. It's not glorious. You know, you're plowing, you're watering you're weeding all the bad habits. It's not sexy. Right. The bookend of that is you can control all the weeding and watering and the hard work, but you have to surrender when it's going to grow and how it's going to grow. We don't know. So, you know, like we were just chatting about, you know, my recent book. I wrote it. I worked hard on it. You know, I did all the, you know, the work. Whatever that book does, I, am, I have to be surrendered to yeah. that and start my next book. Yeah. And so the time frame is not up to us. You know, the actual work we put in, that's 100% on us. And you you actually said something and I love it. You said it in the book and you talk about it where you talk about the vision is part of that leader's responsibility. And that is part of how you get through the suffering, right? Like developing that vision as a leader is how you can get through that suffering to know on the other side of it is something that's worth it, right? That's what we need to cultivate as men. The vision is part of the, there's three aspects of your foundation of your family or your work team or organization or our society. So vision is really the North Star or the, the lighthouse that we navigate off of. Back to the Exodus story, it's the pillar of smoke on the horizon by day. It's the pillar of fire by night. It is the thing by which we, we navigate our journey off of. And without that, you're wandering the desert forever. And you're, you're just chasing other people's visions. Campbell says that when the knights launched out on the, the quest for the Holy Grail, they entered the woods at their own darkest place. So he says, if you're following somebody else's path, then it is not your path and you will never fulfill your potential. So 
when you look at the woods of your career, your life, your journey, you pick the darkest path. And that's the one that is there's suffering, but there's meaning in it. And so the whatever your vision is, that takes some time to craft, yeah. you know, and this is one of these things that you should be doing at every aspect of your life. For the men who have families, do this with your family, you know, huddle up and say, so why are we here? Ask that big question. Why are we here? Why are, you know, in your career, why are you important? Uh, why do you exist in, in society or in this industry? And that may take a little soul searching. It takes a while to crystallize that. And it should be short, memorable, something you can refer to when things get really dark, you know? That's awesome. Just to kind of give guys a little insight and in the Folsom family here in Venice Beach. I was just going to ask you. We're all working on our different projects and art. Yep. We are living life so well that it serves as, a, as an example of what is possible. And that was something that we kind of got together a while back and we all got behind is, okay, that's inspiring. It's aspirational. It serves as maybe an unreachable goal to shoot. And, and a, a vision doesn't have to be something that's practical. Yeah. That's your mission. Missions should be practical, realistic, achievable. Your vision, uh, that's that aspirational first. Yeah. My career path is that I'm introducing, I'm reclaiming kinship in organizations. Because for, for me, that is my passion, because I believe that reintroducing an honor-based culture or kinship in work teams drives resiliency and sustainable success. So I've got it down to this is what I do. If you're not interested in this, then I'm not your guy. Yeah. So get really clear on what that vision is, uh, because it will, it will help communicate your brand and your offerings and your value to your clients. And it will help you navigate that path so that if you get sidetracked, you know, on a, some little bullshit side quest, <laughs> you can re, you know, re recalibrate and get back to get back to what you're supposed to be doing. Man, I, I love this so much. But then I also hear the men like the, the men in the background being like, but that's I have so much conflict to see big and not focus on the mission. Right. Like they can't conceptualize at least a lot of men I work with, and, and maybe you've experienced this as well, but it's hard for men to conceptualize a bigger picture than something that's right in front of them. Maybe like, you know, something that's like 10 or 15 years down the road. Like women are great at this. They can conceptualize big dreams and have no reason to believe they know what step A to step Z is, right? But men are like, I can't conceptualize anything that I can't see step A, B, and C. So when when we talk about that and that conflict within the man to decipher the ability to have a big dream and also still have the small missions that lead to that big dream, how do we talk to these guys? You know my work pretty well, and I, I deal with maps a lot. I think maps are these symbols that are stand-ins for topics that are too large or complex to really understand. So we we provide maps, which is our calendar is a map of time. You know, our watches are a map of time. And the maps I use, which is, you know, how to build a, a uh, high-functioning kinship system. The hero's journey is a map uh, that is a brilliant stand-in for this almost inconceivable arc of a man's journey into the unknown and transformation. And it's a deep dive, but the hero's journey is this really clear diamond that has been given to us from our ancestors. So a map is a 
very valuable tool to look at your your career. And so a map of, you know, what are your what are your 10-year plans? That's big scale. And then reverse engineer it down to what am I doing this week? And you probably did a little mapping yourself in your previous career. Do it in right? this career too, yeah. as you're Navigate. talking about. Yeah. It's the only way uh, I can stay on track, man. <laughs> well, you know, you open up the map, yeah. the big map, you know, the and you go, okay, I need to do some navigation. So I orient my map, check my declination. Uh, you know, you do the, the navigation work. And then you put the map away and you route find. Yep. Because the map's not the real world. Yeah. You can't stay in the map. Otherwise, you fucking fall into a pit. <laughs> or you, you know, you, what, what is this in front of me? Yeah. Like, not on the map? No, the map is not the real yeah. world. So you want to spend 5% of your time on the map. Yeah. And then the rest of the time is navigating the unavoidable real world challenges of, ah, I got, I got to get my tooth fixed. Oh, I have a shoulder injury. Oh, I got to get the oil changed. Like that's not on the map. That's these, you know, those are those little micro missions <laughs> that need to be in alignment to the big map. So navigate, route, find, blah, 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 blah. navigate, route, find. And if you find yourself lost, stop, open the map, recalibrate put that fucker away and live your life as best you can. I love this analogy, man. It's so good because it relates. I just put myself back in spec ops and I'm doing all the, all the routes and doing all these things out in the woods. And you're just like, <laughs> there is, there's so much planning that goes in to before you even make your first step. And then your map is not even in your hand until you get to certain points and you check yourself. Right. And, uh, I love, love, love this analogy. And, and, um, it's so powerful because that makes so much sense to me. And I think that relates to a lot of guys. They can understand that. Like you're not just walking around with the map in your face. You're you're putting the map away. You're going on the path, but that map gave you your vision. That gave you your guidance, right? And then you follow that. And the hey, the big one is the other people in the world. None of them are on the map. The map is for you, and the map is to help the the people who get access to your map. Yeah. But the way you deal with people, the day, the way you deal with all these little small. Like, oh, hey, man, there's, they didn't say there was going to be a guard dog. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you got to deal with that. <laughs> you, know, you can't just keep walking through it. You know, like, hey, handle it. Handle that thing. Uh, I don't know if you ever ran into dogs on any of your missions. I, we had a guy. Like, little shit like we that. We had a guy run into a boar when we were out doing in a, we were in ranger school and he ran out to a wild boar and got chased uh, around the woods by a wild boar. <laughs> that wasn't on the map. Nope. That wasn't on the, on the mission plan. <laughs> Oh, so, so I love this and I want to keep this, this train going because with, with men, I see that, you know, you're right. The people, the, the small side missions, the small side quests, they're not on the, they're not on the map. Right. And those are things that we have to navigate, but I see so many men allow those things to take them very far from their map. So what's your, what's like some guidance there? And I know your book goes into this very deeply, but it's like, What's the guidance to get them recalibrated to that map? Yes, you and I know, like pull it back out, check your reference and see where you're at. But I think so many people get so distracted. I mean, social media is such a big one. It's an easy target. Like people have the, they get sucked into it. They start to compare. They start to, they start to believe their mission's not worth it because someone else is doing it better because they've been doing it longer. All those things. Guys really struggle with that. So how do we get them recalibrated? Yeah, it, part of it is it, it's it's your map and it's it's sacred as sacred as your life is. And somebody else's map 
you know, like Campbell was saying, that's not your journey. You have your own quest that you're going on with all of the significant things that are involved with that. So as soon as you start, oh, well, that night over there, you know, he got treasure. He did cool things. I need to go pivot over there. That treasure is gone, bro. That was not your treasure. You know, and Winston Churchill said uh, that if you stop and, and throw rocks at, at, at every barking dog, you'll never get to where you're going. <laughs> so there's some, there's some barking dog that you can just let bark. Yeah. And moving on, you know, because I'm trying to get where I'm going. Yeah. So there's some conflicts we can avoid. There's some side quests that are just distractions. That's the benefit of having a good map. Yeah. You know, like once your map's locked in, and just to finish out that uh, the map analogy with, we're talking about that team to tribe yep. book. So the vision is your first piece. How you move on your vision is your values. Oh, so sexy. It's so beautiful. Everybody looking and watching um, this. That is the masterpiece that Mr. Folsom just dropped on us. I love it. Thank you, yeah, brother. Yeah. So the, the, your, your values are particularly shared values because you cannot conduct this journey alone. So the shared values are the drivers of shared decision-making that allow you to navigate on this path. So there's a big difference between you know, a very strategic mission yeah. versus seek and destroy mission or some other, you know, dynamic that you're, you know, that why are you going out there? And so understanding the why, which is your vision, and then the how we travel is really important because, you know, African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You have to go together. None of these maps are short term. So how important is quantity versus quality? Like, do we want this journey to be peaceful and spiritual and great? If you all agree that that's the journey, then we all make decisions based on those priorities. Or is the journey ferocious, disciplined, ambitious? Like, okay, if that's your journey, then you need to make sure that you're all solid with those value priorities for your team. Otherwise, you've got a lot of division and it doesn't happen. So the the values of your journey, which are your commandments, yeah. are just as important as your vision, which is that pillar of smoke on the horizon. And those two things are really uh, the big set pieces on, on your map as you navigate it with your family and your work team. Mm, yeah. And there's one of my favorite things I've come across in your book, which kind of leads right from this is that honor-based society we've touched on. And this is just because I haven't read the whole thing, but one of the favorite things that I've come across so far is the honor-based society, something I value a lot, but we've drifted from a lot as a society, and especially as as men, I, I hate to say it, but men have lost uh, honor. The, I mean, word, their words mean nothing anymore. They, they say things and turn around and do something different or say things and never follow through. And we came from a society where you had honor in your word, but you also had honor in your family. You had honor in your team, in your tribe. And I think we've drifted from that a lot. Now, you address this very eloquently in the book and talk about how that honor-based society needs to kind of be reintroduced. You want to dive into that a little bit? This is actually when I'm on a needs assessment call with a, with a client like, you know, Disney or Red Bull or, you know, a big corporate client. And they're saying, we need more innovation, accountability, you know, whatever their issues are, their, their, their pain points. Yeah. So the drivers of those results are culture related they're, and they're always going to be culture related 
which involves uh, leadership behavior. It involves a bunch of dynamics, but I will introduce to them right from the beginning. There's an honor-based culture, which is based on something that is shared. It is larger than ourselves. And then there's the pride-based culture, which is individual focused, and you have to move from pride to honor. And if you've played team sports, for all you men out there, they were successful, team sports. That was an honor-based culture. And if you reflect back at the best team you were ever on, it's going to be team sports, military, maybe a a fraternity, but it's going to be one of those things because those are honor-based cultures. And that pride-based culture, which is individual-centric, it feels unfulfilling. And it is because you know that arc of pleasure, happiness, you don't get significance and meaning until you get into honor culture. Mm-hmm. And this is the initiation process. This is what we did with individual-centric young men or boys, and they are initiated into the way of men or honor. It means what you do in the service of, of the tribe yeah. is more significant than what you're doing for yourself. It's more meaningful. And that initiation process, which is completely absent from our our culture, is why we're stuck in this giant feeding frenzy of lone wolves who are just scavenging from each other. That's the internet. And that's a lot of our industries today is just crazy lone wolf behavior and really dysfunctional. Yeah, it's wild, man. I, I... I sometimes I can tell you right now, even early on when I started my journey with the development, you know, self-development and then um, with entrepreneurship, I I would get that way a little bit and be like, oh, man, this guy's got he's taking all the all the men and like I got to go get like some clients and all this. It's, It's like you get into this whole competing thing instead of being like, well, what's the joint mission here? Right? Are we are we all really on a mission to to help raise men in society and help give some kind of conversation around initiation so we actually have good strong men to lead forward, or are we just pilfering from one another like pirates? You know, and even pirates have an honor. They do code, first right? democracy. Yes, the, that was kind of a, a little blind spot for me when I, I didn't realize how significant the pirate code yeah. was, and it it's now been kind of uh, whenever I'm doing startup work with um, uh, uh, you know, startup companies, and we're talking about ethos and creed and our, our code, values, vision, they're basically pirate ships. <laughs> it, it, you know, a, a high-performing startups yeah. are pirate yeah. ships, which means that, oh yeah, they're, they're scrappy, they're agile, they're ferocious, but within the, their team, they need to be deeply honorable, connected. Mm-hmm. And so even a pirate ship would be an example of an honor culture. And it wouldn't be looked at that uh, from the outside, but in the entrepreneurial world, fucking pirate ships. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool, actually, when you think about it and you go into the history of the pirates and how they actually did operate. And I think Madagascar was actually one of the first pirate locations. And it was a full, like full-blown, like kind of democracy there. And people were able to have equality and capitalism and able to have like shared values and also shared, you know, resources in a sense where they weren't being subjugated as they were around the world in other areas. Also, small known fact, you mentioned the Knights, uh, Knights Templar. I I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that they actually were the first pirates 
because when they got excommunicated by the church after France excommunicated them, um, and they had to they had to get out, they sailed the seas, and they actually were the first pirates, first known pirates, were actually Knights Templar, from what I've read on some things. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, Friday the thirteenth. That's where that unlucky day was when the Catholic Church sent the mission out to kill all the Templars. Yeah. Yeah. So it was wild. I've always liked Friday the 13th, actually. I'm like, yeah. yeah I know. I, I always thought I was a little morbid, but I also was born on Halloween. So I was like, I love Friday the 13th. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think I was born on Friday the 13th, actually. Were you really? Because I was, you know, July 13th is my birthday. And so I, it might have been a Friday. Anyway, I like 13. <laughs> Lucky number in the Jewish religion, too. My wife's Jewish, so. 13 is kind of a cool number. Yeah, I love that. But this is this Taylor, Taylor Swift likes it. So <laughs> I know we're both big Taylor Swift. Oh my Swift God. Fans. Yeah. Hey, if you got a daughter, if you got a daughter, you're a Taylor Swift. Oh fan. gosh, man. I do. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. But so I want to, I wanted to dive into this too, because like the, the tribe culture is so important. And I don't know that anybody speaks to it any, any better than you. And you talk about these, the tribe triangle, and, and that was something that really fascinated me, this tribe triangle and how, you know, creating that to have this kinship is really where we can thrive in life. And that's kind of this part of this foundation we're even mentioning, right? Is that tribe triangle? Yeah. And for the guys watching who are inspired or challenged by getting into coaching or entering the, the corporate space and, and. I get I get to speak at a lot of men's groups and and that that's the number one thing that men want to talk to me about is hey how, how do I get into this space yeah. like how do I get a successful coaching career going and as I begin to talk about the tribe triangle I did, I want you to just see this is an example of efficacy whatever your modality is of your offerings the the value you're providing it needs to create results that's the value that gets you paid and it it provides a service that is legitimate and so whatever your modality is and there's a whole bunch of guys who you know i see on their you know their their bio like i'm joe blow and i'm a breathwork practitioner it's like okay dude great i mean breathwork is a, a huge component to resiliency emotional regulation yeah. you know it's well researched it's got it's solid okay but it needs to translate into what's called profit drivers. If you're going to get paid, whatever your modality is, has to be able to connect the dots to increasing productivity, competitiveness, innovation, efficiency, engagement, retention. This is what you get paid for. So breath work is valuable. How does it translate to a profit driver? Yeah. And you have to connect those dots. and. In addition to that, you have to be modeling the value that you are um, providing. If you can't just say, hey, this is really valuable. You should do it. They need to see the value in your life. So like, if you're talking about this is going to make you uh, regulated emotionally, it's going to increase your relationships, it's going to get you in shape. You'd better be regulated. Yeah. You'd better have a great relationship. You'd better have run successful companies. Like, don't be a fat trainer. Right? Kills me. Don't be a Kills fat me. trainer, guys. Basically, you, what you're providing is not a service. You're providing you as evidence of your efficacy. So you need to be that 
and they need to see it and go, oh, obviously this is working in some capacity. And so that's worth paying for. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that that's that's kind of the um the philosophical background on on whatever the modality is. And for me, I use a lot of maps. That's one of my modalities. And they're directly connected to not only a philosophical approach, but here's the um, evidence of it. So building a an honor-based culture or an intact culture, a kinship culture, whatever you want to call it, increases your resiliency, yep. it, which means you're going to lower a lot of your mental and emotional issues, anxiety drops, depression drops, addiction drops. You get a lot of those benefits. But an intact honor-based culture also is evidence-based, more innovative, there's more accountability, there's higher engagement, there's a higher retention of your employees. So it makes you money. And here's how it works. Whatever it is that you know, you're know you rolling out as this is my worldview or my point of view on how this is valuable in terms of your service offerings, you have to connect those dots. So the tribe triangle is basically a hierarchical model that exists in a wide range of, of careers. It's sports psychology, you know, 101. It's um, leadership development work, organizational development work. And it's a, a four-stage model that each of these stages is built on top of the existing stage. So it's sequential. And there is a, a, a vital sequence of behaviors that you need to establish before it activates the next echelon of behavior with your team. So, you know, you cannot decree innovation. You have to build a culture of innovation because yeah. innovation is inherently connected to failure. You, you cannot innovate without failure. Yeah. It's very the creative true. process is messy. If you're playing offense, you know, and you're throwing the ball downfield, you're going to have a lot of missed passes. You need to be able to create a, a resilient culture that is safe and has enough trust yeah that you can absorb those failures. And then you're going to start seeing innovation. So uh, the tribe triangle begins with that foundation of alignment, which is your shared mission, vision, yep. values. They, and they need to be not just something on your website. This is one of those things that if you ask any employee, particularly anybody in the leadership of the company, they should know. And that means you have a functional foundation of alignment, which makes people feel like they belong. And that is the creation of the next stage, which is kinship, which is where all of your belonging, your resiliency, trust within the team is activated. And only then are you dealing with high risk behaviors, which are is healthy conflict. Men will never hold each other accountable until they feel safe and they belong. Yeah. Because we interpret accountability as shame. Yep. If we're not connected to a shared mission and vision and values, and somebody's telling you something that is um, critical, then we interpret it as shame. And there's going to be inherent conflict, and there's going to be ghosting, and there's going to be blowback and passive-aggressive behavior and all that shit. If you have built your kinship infrastructure, then all of a sudden we interpret it as, wow, you're taking time out of your day to hold me accountable for me getting better, yeah. which then we are getting better. If you've had a sports background or a military background, that's just, yeah, duh. Of course, we hold each other accountable because we are sharing this larger 
thing that we're doing together. And we need each other to be in shape, regulated, functional, all of those pieces. So that whole infrastructure of how to build a successful culture is really what that book is all about. And that's one of the things that I do with, you know, my personal coaching clients or with consulting and whatever version of that is that you're doing out there in the internet watching this, you should take some time to create whatever that map is that connects what your passion is to providing some sort of a solution to a problem for people. And connecting that dots is what makes it happen. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then having that, it is the framework. It's the framework that we need for that successful life. And so that tribe triangle gives us that map that you were referring to earlier that we all kind of need where it's like, hey, when we can start building that and see that in our business or in our lives, like because you use this even with your family. And that's something that like it, it permeates all areas of life. And, and it just kind of just gets it gets copied and pasted in there. And then the content kind of gets a little different depending on the the context it's being used in. But it's always the same framework every single time. And that's what I love that you're giving that map, you're delivering that, you're executing on delivering that map to everybody to use, and especially guys that are are embarking on these businesses. That, that was a question. But for anybody that doesn't know, Philip and I are, are friends, and I literally reached out to Philip. I said, Philip, I'm starting a leadership consulting company. I want to talk to you about it. He was the first one to say, like, yep, let's get on a call. <laughs> I was like, that is the kind of, but that's kind of the ethos, that honor-based system, the, the, this type of framework, that's the culture you carry in your life, which is really cool but you also show that because you teach it and how you help companies, how you help individuals, which is just a testament to your work, brother. Thanks, man. I love seeing brothers win. Yeah. I love seeing, and, and there are, you know, I, there's things that I do badly at too. I'm not saying that I've, you know, I've got it all figured <laughs> out. Listen to me. Everything that you don't hear me talk about is because I'm a fat trainer. <laughs> so, you know, my, my social media is for shit. I don't know how to do social media. I, I don't market well. You know, there's a bunch of aspects of my life that I don't have evidence of my efficacy. And so you don't see me saying, hey, here's how to create a social media brand. Yeah. Like I, I'm not talking about. It. So there are many men who are doing things way better sure. than I am. And I, and I admire them. And if I do feel a little bit of competition, it's like, ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we all need rabbits to hunt. Yeah. All, all men have this com- have a competitive thing in them. So don't pretend that it's not. Don't pretend you're not a predator. <laughs> like we should be admiring and celebrating and driven yeah. by the success of other men. Like that's that's part of the game. It makes us great. Yeah. All all forms of competition you know, bring out the best in us. Should unless it gets dark, yeah. where you're this lone wolf person and you're trying you're trying not to lose. Yeah versus I'm trying to win. Yeah. It's a very different mindset, you know? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's one of those things where, where guys, they just, they'll start to get on that path of not having healthy conflict and not having competition. And then they get passive and dormant. And when that happens, that's when their life hits those, in my opinion. And, and even where I've seen in my life, the downslopes are when I'm not competitive, when I'm not in healthy conflict and building that challenge to myself, not out of wanting to be better than somebody, but wanting to be better for who I am or, or better at something in particular, so I can deliver a higher end product. And I think there's so many men today that run away from 
that. I mean, they're, I mean, guys are even being told that's bad. Guys are being told competition and healthy conflict it. is bad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're built for it. It's a genetic operating system. We're territorial. You know, there's no culture in the history of our species that was not territorial. Right. And that did not have a warrior class that defended territory and weighed. We're, we're a warlike species. And we, we can mitigate that and, and direct it into healthy avenues so that we're not, you know, being these horrible, toxic, you know, creatures on the planet. But to pretend that it doesn't exist is absolute madness. And when the, the people who pretend that we're not competitive and we're not territorial, they're the ones that, that create the most drama because it's coming out somewhere. Yep. It, you're either going to go to war, you're going to go to war with yourself or you're going to go to war with, with your tribe. Yeah. Unless you're going to finding something else to compete against. So kind of the business axiom is we want to um, cooperate internally and compete externally. And where that line is drawn makes all the difference. So it, a lot of times people are threatened and they're competitive within the context of their work team. And, you know, the, the creation of an honor culture ends that and pushes that competition outwards because it's going to be there somewhere. You know, Freud, Freud has a theory of hydraulics that uh, everything that you shove down is coming out high pressure somewhere else. And it's coming out in a maladaptive way. It's either something that's passive aggressive, toxic, rage based, addiction. It's coming out somewhere. And all men have that, have that thing. It's, it's in us. So find a healthy, a healthy avenue to express that. Yeah. And it's almost like the people that are passing it off as bad are doing it subversively and very insidiously. So they're d passing it off as bad because then it, it deteriorates the, the field of competition to get better. And then they end up dominating or they end up essentially playing psychological warfare with their words and, and how they try to present this as you being bad for wanting to compete, but they're competing anyways, subversively, right? Like that's the way I see it, man. I see yeah. so many people do that stuff. Oh, yeah. But you, so I want to, as a reminder, God, I mean, every time I talk to you, it just flies by. But one of the things I, I also loved was uh, you talked about the falconer. Okay. And being the falconer as a leader. And I, I, I'm pretty sure you wrote this cause you knew I'd love it, but, uh, <laughs> you, you said this quote. Yeah. That was all, it was for, all you, for me. Man. You're like, all this is, you. this is Johnny, you know? Um, but you put this quote in from Heraclitus and you said, out of every hundred men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters and we are lucky to have them for they make the battle. Uh, for they make, the uh, battle. but the one he is a warrior and he will bring the others back. Like that one gave me goosebumps in that, that chapter. I mean, even that whole thing, but talk about that a little bit. Cause that's such a, I think that's such a powerful piece, man. That chapter is so good already. Well, the, the previous quote was um, uh, just a, a chunk of a, a poem. I really like that, you know, spinning and spinning and the ever widening gyre, the Falcon cannot hear the falconer things fall apart. So the gyre is a spinning, monstrous whirlwind of society change disconnection pride technology like this is the gyre that he's talking about and it sucked all the the, the falcons up into uh the tornado and we cannot hear the falconer this is our anchor this is our our people our purpose and that's when things fall apart so that we do need to be connected to that uh our, whatever 
the falconer is, whether that's God or you know your your tribe or your family or your sense of purpose in the world. And we need to make sure that um, we keep that that connection. Otherwise, both parties fall apart. You know, the falcon and the falconer. And then the Heraclitus quote, it, and that's ancient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Heraclitus is you know is BC. BCE, you know, like it's, it's <laughs> back, back. Know, way older. <laughs> and so it's the, the same thing that he's talking about is the same thing that we're talking about is take a hundred men and 10 of them should not even be there. Like, you know, they're, you know, and there's a very, this is a weaponized term that I'm going to share with you by culture, but you know, there are, there are sheeps and there are wolves, you know, wolves don't care about the opinion of sheep and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all that, that thing. <laughs> And we've all been sheep at some point in our life, you know, where, you know, like, hey, I'm in the slow lane, I'm driving along, and the wolves are in the fast lane, driving fast. There are men who are not awake yet. There are men who are addicted. There's men who are, they're playing video games today, you know, and we're recording this on a Friday, and they're at home playing fucking Call of Duty. And those are the 10 that in this current state, their developmental stage of life, they should not even be in the battle. So... These are the trolls on the internet, you know? Well, I haven't, you know, well, I, I don't want to be inflammatory, but I just about, I almost did it. Yo, you caught yourself. Your you people, caught but. yourself. I love it. Yeah, See, that's what, I that's did. real. I that's, that's men's work and practice right there. You know, he caught himself. Every man, Ooh, listen, even someone like Philip, the work he's done on himself allowed him to catch it. And that's the key. Dude, I did. I about burned some bridges. All right. So. These are the trolls who are talking about shit they have no concept about in, you know, historically, politically, tactically, strategically, like, shut the fuck up. You know, you're not even watching the news. You're playing Call of Duty. So you should not even be in the conversation. And, you know, hey, somehow, because we have this inclusive society, these 10 men who should not even be there have access to a keyboard and the Internet. And the rest of, you know, like those 80, those are just their targets. Like they're consumers, they're sitting consuming, they're told where to go. And they're the ones that just are showing up and shuffling along, following the herd. But, you know, those nine, now we're getting down to the nine. These, these are the, these are the fighters. These are the guys who are, who did an ice bath today. You're the, you're the men who went to the gym today. You're the men who meditated this morning. Like, Ooh, there's a very small little Corona of great men that are arriving on the field right now. And it's very exciting. You all can see them. If you're curating your algorithm at all to who's, you know, legitimate, authentic, like doing the work, these are the fighters. And we're lucky to have them for they make the battle. Like these, this is our tribe. These are the, these are the men, the men who are swimming towards the lifeboat. The rest of them are just fucking bobbing along in the water. <laughs> can you rescue me? <laughs> like, no, man, I got room for the men who are swimming towards me. These are my nine fighters. I want them on the boat. Yeah. And then there's you. And that's the one who brings the others home. And those are the arrival of the great men that through p- certain periods of human history, the stars, the culture, society has aligned to create a little blossom of great men. And they're the ones who founded our country. It was a unique period of time where we are coming from a warrior culture. We had enough peace. And then we have uh, some enlightened dudes who are faced with a legitimate challenge and they rose to the occasion 
and created this amazing experiment called America or, you know, the Enlightenment or Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, bing, 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 back to back. Like those were, that was an unusual moment in human history where we had these, these men who are the ones that brought the others home. And that's, I think, in, for me, is a really aspirational framework. What he's talking about is let's strive to be the fighters. Yeah. And then, hey, maybe you're the yeah. one. And you certainly are the one for your family. You need to be the one for your family. So what does that mean? You know, and it's a heavy burden. It's a burden that most men are not willing to undertake because they're the targets. They're the ones that are so adolescent, they believe they deserve to play video games. If you're one of the fighters, gentlemen, you do not get to play video games. You do not. Because that time should have been spent fighting for your family, breaking the ancestral curse so your sons don't have to. That's a very robust warrior statement. It's a gauntlet thrown, but we're missing that from our, our ethos. Oh, dude, that is like, couldn't have been a better kind of close to the conversation. That was so good. And what I love about it is it's a challenge to every man listening. If you found it was a little bit challenging to hear that you might be part of the 80, well, then maybe you need to step up. Maybe it's time for you to take on that challenge that Philip's talking about and become that man who's part of the 10, right? Or the nine. And then potentially that one. And if you're a guy that is feeling really hurt because you're part of the uh, 10 at the other end, <laughs> then that shouldn't be there. Well, you know what? Again, that is where you, this is that healthy conflict. This is that healthy challenge as men for us to say, cool, prove us wrong, rise to the occasion. So I love this, brother. You are a special human, dear to my heart, and also just an amazing mentor, coach, teacher human being, everybody out there, please go get Team to Tribe, the roadmap for reclaiming kinship and success in your family and career. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, this is what the book looks like. Please, please go get that. Philip, let everybody know um, where they can get it right now, where it's available, and they, they'll check it out. And we'll also put all the links in the show notes as well. It's on Amazon, Team to Tribe. And um, my kind of catch-all website right now is mywolftribe.com. And it has the book, has links to men's work programs. It has links to warrior resiliency work. If you're, you're part of our brothers who uh, have served and could use some of that reintegration, transformation, purification, all the resiliency work that we didn't give mm -hmm. you when you yeah. left, any of that stuff, uh, mywolftribe.com has links to all of that. And uh, absolute honor to be with you. Yeah, Dan. brother. We'll put all that in the show notes. So if you guys are driving or something like that, don't worry. Check out the show notes. Click on the link. Go check out what Philip's got going on and do yourself a favor. Get this book, whether it's for business, whether it's for family, obviously it's going to work for all of it and you're going to be able to replicate it every area of your life. Brother, thank you so much. Love chatting with you. And to everybody listening, just remember the world deserves a better caliber of man and it's our obligation to give it to him.